0: On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge, I'm your host this week like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's having trouble celebrating the Super Bowl, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Hey, no Longhorns won, but, uh, you know, we got about 13 Peyton Manning appearances in, in various commercials, so it was a it was a wash. I did want to root for Matt Stafford, because any player who has to be put in, in Detroit for that long, even if you get to throw to Calvin Johnson, uh, you deserve nice things. So uh, it was tough. I wanted a Longhorn. I was rooting for the underdog, but a good game, uh, you know. As a neutral, all you can care about is a good game.
0: On the plus side, two OU running backs did lose. Feels good. Oh God. Joe Mixon, Shamontae oh, P. Ryan, both lost. Feels good. Feels <laughs> great. Feels oh, great. feels great. You're not
1: good. counting Adrian Peterson in that group, okay. Not, I that. No, he, okay? he
0: he did not lose on the football field. He lost elsewhere, but that is neither here nor there. And the segue I want to go with won't work for our airwaves, so. We'll just slide in. Today, we're going to talk about some baseball. We'll finally get to that long-rumored baseball preview. That'll be the bulk of our show. We'll do some down the 40. Basketball was back in action. Softball started their season. Tennis is doing tennis things. We'll do some burnt orange lenses. There's a lot going on. We'll close the show out with some Godzillatron and bang the drum. So, Texas. Number one in your programs, number one in your hearts, number one in basically every ranking I've seen thus far that really matters, especially the Big 12. My favorite one is that David Pierce couldn't vote for Texas uh, in the Big 12 coaches poll. And so uh, Texas is nearly a unanimous preseason number one in uh, the Big 12 coaches <laughs> poll. But that's either here nor there. Last season, they went 50 and 17, 17 and 7. In Big 12 play, won the Big 12, reached the College World Series, but lost that heartbreaking series. I, that was incredible um, to Mississippi State, who went on to be the eventual eventual champions, finished the season ranked number three, looking to improve on that with a roster that lost some key pieces, but also uh, is reloading and re rehashing and getting ready for another deep run.
1: Yeah, they lost some some older guys for sure, uh, but I think they had some wins in the offseason. We'll talk about specific ones. There were players probably could have left but chose to come back. It feels it feels special. It feels like there's no real question marks on this team. It feels like they're deep in uh, all the important areas. Um, I, I, this this team, if it didn't have the name Texas on it, and you just looked at who was on it, I think you know any unbiased fan would say is the is the number one team. Just to, you know looking looking at the roster, uh, the way it's composed, the the way they uh, – where they're strong. And, and I think, you know, it, it's a long season, but it looks good, uh, and it's exciting to get started. The, the interesting thing when we were looking back at last year, 15-17, I always look at baseball reference does their Pythag- uh, Pythagorean win-loss record, which basically says, did you get lucky? Like, did you win 50 games and, you know, really the the, the playout uh, stats, runs scored, runs allowed kind of – says you should have won eight fewer games or something like that. No, Texas actually was in theory unlucky. They should have won about four more games, uh, you know, given how they how they uh, scored and, and runs allowed. And that goes to the, the the staff last year, which, you know, played great defense. 10th uh, best fielding percentage in the nation, second most double plays, and leading the nation team ERA with uh, 293, fourth in, in hits allowed as a, as a whole staff. So, good defense, good pitching. Uh, a couple guys who put the ball out of the park and and a lot of guys who uh maximize getting on base and stealing bases and and uh playing the kind of small ball uh pieces that we've we've come to know at texas so the question is can they do all the good stuff again
0: here's hoping, right? Like they, last year felt closer to, especially based on the level of coaching and talent that was on the team. Like it felt closer, but I almost, and this feels dumb to say for a team that went to the college world series, there were some spots where I think they underachieved. There were some games in the big 12 that I specifically, that I think they probably could have been more dominant. Again, it's hard to complain. It's like pimples on the prom queen when you go 50 and 17, but like, it almost felt like last year's team was like half a step away from where they should have been. And granted, like that that Mississippi State team was absolutely brutal and just one of the better college baseball teams I think we've seen in a very long time but like there were spots in that where they could have put it away there were spots in that where I feel like you know Texas had opportunities to really um take it the next step and so this seems like a team that's built and ready and able to build on that and go the next step and bring another championship back to Austin and finally get to dogpile. Because, as much as we are uh, not old money at basketball, Texas is old money at baseball, and we only dogpile when that trophy's coming back to Austin.
1: The, the oldest of money, I think, again, we've said on this podcast, Texas baseball success is what people uh, think Texas football is. It's actually uh, that good we people are. People think Texas Jones success
0: is what Texas football is, but that's another conversation. That's
1: it, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but, it, yeah, in a, in a major uh, full uh, kind of uh, – one of the big three revenue-generating sports, baseball is is by far our most successful. And, um, you know, I think another just thing to think about with this team, like you talked about Pierce being here five years, having a lot of guys returning, having some good young talent. He has a fantastic, fantastic coaching staff with Tulewitzki. I don't know how long before he's a head coach, right? Like he just he, he's, seems to be taken to the job really well. Um, and then the the other two guys are even much closer. Both Philip Miller uh, interviewed for head coaching jobs, and Sean Allen returned. And, and if you, when we did our postseason uh, closeout between now and we did our preseason preview, I would have for sure said Sean Allen was a head coach somewhere. He was he was the assistant coach of the year last year. If you remember, Allen was. Um, originally the hitting coach for Texas and did a phenomenal job kind of uh, with that last uh, Texas team that overachieved was was a lot of the hitting coach things that Sean Allen was doing when they got Troy Tulewitzki, they moved him over to the bullpen and he just, like I mentioned, you know, turned out the lowest ERA in the country. Um, and he was a finalist for both the Rice and Sam Houston jobs. He's a Houston guy. It was a shock that neither of those uh, ended up being his job. So we'll just cherish having him on the staff with Coach Pierce another year. And again, and not saying... It's make or break because if we lose coaches, we won't be there. But, man, you've got some of the best staff in the country. Uh, and, and, again, we'll go through and talk about the players. Everything. I mean, it just – as we go down this list, you check boxes, check boxes, and that's why you might hear a little giddiness in Gerald or uh, or my, my voice tonight.
0: It feels exciting. It feels like this is the the start of a new uh, a thing and potentially a, a dynasty a dynastic run for Texas uh, with this team. They got to replace some big pieces. We talked about it, but um, Ty Madden, first rounder, gone, um, and the original Sunday starter, Colby uh, Kubaček, is now with the New York Mets. Um, so. Texas though brings back a bunch of All Americans on the pitching staff, both like actually last year and preseason. Like the preseason All American, it's hard to like. They bring they have these preseason All Americans, but like guys that that put in All American performances last year uh, are coming back to the staff. Uh, they've got a pitching staff that that Kendall Thompson, who if you're not following him on Twitter um, and you're into baseball, you're doing it wrong, or you're not actually into baseball. But said that Texas really has three Friday night guys, guys that you could lead off any team would want to have as their number one guy in the rotation. Texas just happens to have three of them. Uh, Pete Hansen, Tristan Stevens, and Tanner Witt, who were all picked preseason, all Big 12 guys, uh, per Coach Pierce, He's going to be your one, two, three rotation. And I'm going to be honest with you. Most teams in the conference would sell anything, sell a paired appendage, sell an organ, sell a kidney to have one of those guys. Uh, as their Friday night starter the fact that Texas has all three of them in their rotation um, I said it a few weeks ago jokingly but like we've complained sometimes about the lack of run support from the from the offense at times in years past but if Texas can put across maybe one run a night they're probably doing okay uh, with this (laughs) pitching staff
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you're right that any of these guys could be the guy. I was a little bit surprised to hear Pierce say, and we'll see if it sticks the whole season, that Tanner Witt is the Sunday guy versus the Friday guy. I mean, I think Pete Hansen is is electric, but but I'll work backwards. So Sunday, you know, your sophomore Tanner Wade, who came out of the bullpen last year, showed he could go deep. He the memorable six innings versus Tennessee in the College World Series. I mean, he he has the the pedigree. He has the stuff. A huge curveball throws major league, you know, velocity. Is a, a really good changeup. He was five and zero last year. Um, in, in games where he, he got the decision uh, just over three ERA. I mean, just has the He is the power pitcher du jour that Texas has had on Friday uh, nights for the past few years who's been a first-round kind of guy. And I think, honestly, out of the three, he has the highest upside at the next level. But it's hard to argue with the, the, the Saturday uh, starter, who, again, you could see him being a Friday starter on some teams, but he's actually, to me, the quintessential Saturday uh, second game in a series starter is Tristan Stevens who who may have been the most consistent player at any position in the conference last year just went out through strikes got people out he he has a um he has a modus operandi he's going to throw sinkers he's going to throw sliders he's going to get you to uh to to ground out or or strike out looking cuz he's going to throw strikes um you you're not going to get a lot of walks with him um and he's a guy who who Probably most of us thought would would get some looks just because he's an older guy, super senior kind of season. Um, I think he's going to have a little chip on his shoulder this year because I think he even thought he was going to get drafted. And then uh, finishing it out, it seems like the presumptive Friday night starter. Guy had a great, great year last year, and I think depending where his fastball reigns uh, you know at the end of the year he, he's a guy who could be talking about high uh draft picks as well but just has you know an incredible college pitcher probably a really good next level pitcher and a guy who we love in in Pete Hansen who another guy who throws strikes a little bit harder than than Stevens but just has good stuff all around under two era last year uh nine and one just again you're gonna you're gonna go down all the the the, the Starting three rotation in the country, and and I'm positive you will not find a better three. Maybe you find a better one uh, of any of these three, but you certainly do not find a better collection.
0: This is going to sound weird, but like my the way my brain like logic out having Tanner Witt as your Sunday guy is one of the spots that I feel like Texas underachieved last year is Sunday games where sure. three of their conference losses last year, three of their seven conference losses were. In sweep up positions where they had, they played really well Friday, really well Saturday, and the pitching specifically in a couple spots crapped the bet on Sunday. And so, like, mm-hmm. that maybe that might be where Coach Pierce is coming from with that is like, we can't have, we can't let that um, that hang around. You got to finish your plate. You got to, you got to close the door. <laughs> and so, like, maybe that. And again, I know 16th, not even a 16th, that's overstating it. I know. 0001 percent about coaching baseball that that Coach Pierce does, but like in my mind, like when I think about where that that line I said earlier about Texas being disappointing in a couple of spots, it was the Sunday start, and so maybe just maybe that's what they're going for. But so the guys that will come in in relief, unfortunately, they've got to replace Cole Quintana, who's now playing for the Natinals. If you remember the misprint on those jerseys, that was one of my favorite sports memes of all time. You <laughs> can't spell the Nationals correctly, but you've got uh, Aaron. Uh, Nixon, who was the closer last year, nine saves, four wins, 35 strikeouts, and 34 innings, uh, verbally committed to Texas at the ripe old age of 14. The man, the myth, the legend, Andre Duplantier, back from a Tommy John surgery, he was thrown at 95 before. Can't wait to see. I'm just going to call him the Flying Frenchman because it feels right. To me, Um, Jared Souther didn't allow an earned run in his 10 innings. Like, you could go on and on, but even just, like, it's insane to me that, like, Again, this is the bullpen that Texas brings behind those three guys that would be the Friday night guy at any other. It's just nuts to me uh, the talent that they have uh, in the uh, waiting in the wings to, to come in and relief.
1: Yeah, and again, Cole Quintanilla was so good. I think he's going to be a player who has a good MLB career, and we remember him. Oh, that's right. He was at Texas because he just didn't get a lot of innings, and his innings weren't memorable because he went out and had like a, point point zero decimal ERA people just didn't put the ball in play so they were boring innings but he was just unbelievable touch 98 at Texas Um, but anyways I I think the bullpen and the other arms and the guys who are the weak you'll, you'll kind of find your midweek starter I think somewhere out of this other arms group uh as well which that might might be Lucas Gordon I think um has a good chance just has real big time stuff again Lucas Gordon is a player um who who could probably be a weekend starter next year, a name to, to keep an eye on. Um, and then Josh Stewart, a big-time talent. These both Gordon and Stewart big-time recruits. Stewart through 95 in high school, um, a player who who is going to get some shine somewhere. Um, some of these young guys, you know, it, it's it's not always – it's sometimes consistency in finding that uh, at the college level versus the stuff. Um, I mean – Aaron Nixon, we talked about him off the top, is is the, the head of this group, but he came in as a freshman and what he did was just unreal, right? Nine saves, four wins. Um, anytime he got out there he was in high pressure moments and just, you know, never never. Wilted, But, you know, you they don't make them like El Cobra, who at at 14, you know, was wearing Texas gear and committing to the University of Texas. That guy bleeds burnt orange, and I love that. Uh, I also don't know. He goes by El Cobra, but I still think Quadzilla is the better nickname for him. Um, But it it will be interesting because Dre Duplantier probably, if, if he doesn't get hurt, I don't know where we see Nixon fall in if he, you know, gets more of a starter role. Duplantier and Nixon but were both guys who were good enough on offense uh, to play positions, right? Then Duplantier did it in college, playing some third base. But they both uh, were that talented, so having those athletes is great. Um, I think you know there's there's some guys who may pop up in here. LeBaron Johnson is six five, throws ninety six. If he gets consistency, good luck. Like I, he'll probably be a multi year prospect, but. Could just be a nasty weapon out of the bullpen. Uh, Trevor Estelle is a, is a guy I've, I've heard scouts describe as the future Texas starter. Um, we'll see if he gets any any shine this year. Justin Eckert can throw 92 and has a wicked changeup. Um, Zane, Zane Morehouse is a, a guy who I've heard some people talk about. He's a Juco transfer, and they said he has electric stuff. Um, it's just a matter of kind of getting his, his opportunity to show it. Um, but, you know, he has elite, elite stuff, like MLB stuff. So um, it'll be very curious on, on this group, just who gets the chances again, knowing you have the starters who can go six or seven real easily. Nixon, who's going to uh, probably have the the closer duties and Duplantier who can go long, but also might fall into a setup role. Um, so it'll be interesting. That might be your pitchers most nights. So it'll, these other guys are going to have to really take advantage uh, of the chances <laughs> in an established bullpen Lefties is probably the one thing to think about. Pierce has said he doesn't get you know too hung up on that situational um, kind of it. It's not a necessity, but that that's the one thing you don't see. Most of these guys are uh, that I named are right-handed. There are some left-handed arms, but the the, the ones that you hear people raving about typically the righty. So that might be the one thing. If I and, and pimples on a prom queen, as gerald said is probably the way to put it because I'm nitpicking here. I mean th- this is. A really, really good bullpen, and, and again, these guys are bullpen guys because they're either not starters yet until these players move on, or again, they'll try to get that midweek role and hang on to it for a year to get the weekend next year, so just some, uh, probably a collection of 10, 11, just elite, elite uh, arms in here that's you know I think exciting at this level too because there will be a game where one of these guys gets in and, and just goes five innings and and you know it's a it's a comeback game and gets a win you know and it'll be on them making a play and you'll be you'll be curious who steps up to be able to do that
0: I loved everything you just said except for the part that you didn't make a Chrysler reference when you talked about LeBaron Johnson because if he can get <laughs> consistent like a good Chrysler he will likely be a good one for Texas. He's talking about the infield. Texas now has to replace Zach Zubia and fan favorite Cam Williams in that lineup. But Ivan Melendez... Turned down some pretty good money in the MLB Is going to play a positional spot And try to get some really Really good money, some elite <laughs> money um, Becoming more than But maybe now that there's potentially Going to be universal DH in the MLB He could have gone and gotten real money Real, real good money <laughs> Regardless, Trey Faltini will continue To be one of the best defensive shortstops in the country You know, Pierce called him the face of the program And I think you're seeing that In a lot of like the social media stuff And, and his mom is also really out there On social media too, and she's hilarious. (laughs) If you're not following her, um, you should be doing that. But the infield again is is filled with guys who I think I I just at the top. You think of Silas Arduan, like Peyton Powell, Mitchell. Like the this is a group that um, again. It boggles my mind that Coach Pierce has been able to assemble this group of talent to continue to to build on what was already a, a talented program when he took over.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, right. We talked about Texas's. If they want to just do what they did last year, they are going to have to replace. You know, Cam Williams and it hit some home runs. Zach Zuby had some home runs. Um, Cam Williams, especially at third base, grew into the defensive side of things. I do think. Uh, I heard Kendall Rogers describe Skylar Messenger as an upgrade over cam williams which is huge I, I have really big hopes for for him on the the other corner over there um you know he played shortstop and third base at kansas he's he's a guy who's going to be really good defensively right off the bat but also has a lot of pop in his bat so you know could be a pretty instant replacement for cam but how do you replace zach zubia in his 13 years at the university of texas uh you know i think melendez will have a little bit of a learning curve because Zubia especially by the end, grew into a really good defensive first baseman. Uh, if you watch the alumni game, don't don't hold that uh, one egregious uh, error on him. He made up immediately with a great play after. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting more on the defensive side because you look, and Trey Feltini, I mean, you're looking at a top five at worst defensive shortstop in the country. Silas Ardwan, I would go to bat, pun intended, that he is the best defensive catcher in, in the country. Uh, I think Mitchell Daly is probably – the fact that he's at second base is so ridiculous. He's probably the best second, defensive second baseman. He'll likely slide over to shortstop once uh, Faltini goes goes pro. Uh, but he's just so good, and that's why they turn so many double plays because you have two shortstops, two really heady guys, uh, kind of manning the middle. Um, and then uh, again, you, you you just you look at okay is uh you your sound everywhere can Melendez get up to speed quick enough at first base and can they neutralize what he needs to do enough um where he's he's playing good or maybe he'll come out in surprises and just be you know be really great defensively uh before halfway in the season I think he'll be good I just think he'll need a little growing time and that's all right um because again I just talked about some really good players around him but I think it goes beyond the defense right Tulewski's been working with uh Trey Faltini as a leader I think um you know he he he's He's a guy who's a third-round kind of talent who, if he gets the bat going uh, at shortstop, he's, he could slide into a first-round talent or at least a second-round talent. Last year, he did have 18 doubles and 37 RBIs, so a little bit of pop. He just needs to get the consistency. Uh, Melendez, we know he hit for power. I think he was eight straight games with a home run. Had 13 home runs, 51 RBIs. Just, you know that's good. I think he thinks he can do better, which is exciting. Uh, Mitchell Daly, again, I think is he, although he was preseason All Big Twelve, I think is somehow still very underrated. I think there's going to be games that he wins the way we'll talk about it in our outfield. You have to replace things with Mike Antico that aren't just stats, but it's those those big time plays and the energy plays, um, and the clutch moments. I, I think I think I like Mitchell Daly a lot to make some plays uh, this year. He did have 15 doubles as well last year, so a little a uh, little pop there. And then um, just I was looking at stats because. Peyton Powell is a really, really good bat. And if Silas Arduan wasn't as good, he would probably be be taking over a catcher spot for most teams. But in 48 stealing attempts last year, uh, Silas threw out 20 of them. I mean, that's just, it's, that's really, really, really good. And then on the other side, he drew 43 walks. So he's not a super plus hitter but he's so composed he cut down wild pitches in half pass balls like basically every pitching stat which was actually a little bit bad if you remember texas had a rough go of the catcher position for like four years uh with injuries and all kind we were playing walk-ons at one point I mean, it was tough and he's just calmed that and, and in, in turn calmed our pitching staff just the things he does but again his offense if he can keep just consistent and, and getting those walks He's going to be great but a guy who is Can play anywhere in the infield but is a catcher By trade Peyton Powell was someone Who who Pierce actually mentioned for the DH spot I'll be curious because there's some names that I uh, Like and expect To see in there as well but I mean A guy who just knows how to get clutch hits Peyton Powell is, is you know should be getting time right he should be getting in the mix somewhere so we'll see if it's midweek games if it's dh uh where it is if he's rotating at catcher but it'll be interesting because peyton Powell is, is one of the guys who just has he, he's done a lot in a, with just a really little, limited little bit of time so i'm curious to see uh if he gets any more and if he has a, a chance to be kind of a, a who's that guy uh in the first half of the season as players are watching someone uh spark a little bit
0: i mean and that's kind of the fun part about this is that um, you'll get to see different names, especially those midweek games. I love seeing like, oh, that's somebody we haven't seen in a while. How are they doing? Oh, that's somebody that we'll see next year in the starting lineup. It's always so fun to see. So moving to the outfield, they've got to replace one angel out there, Mike Antico, who led the nation in walks in the Big 12 and stolen bases a year ago. But they do get to keep old Douglas to do, who was absolutely great last year. Eric Kennedy finished fall ball with the highest batting average. David Pierce has yet to coach a season where Austin Todd has not been on the team. But again, this is um, the names aren't necessarily as big as the infield potentially, but like these are still again players that um, you should know and be familiar with because they're going to be big contributors for Texas.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's that's a, that's kind of a good way to think of it, right? I think uh, again, if I like. Mitchell Daly, I, I feel the same way about Doug Hodo. I think a guy who is not getting the love that he should. Um, I think Doug Hodo is is probably my breakout candidate of the year. Um, a 300 hitter and just a double machine, I think he's going to have a lot more doubles and, and just You know he was a clutch hitter. I I like a lot what he can do. Eric Kennedy is going to have to try to replace Mike Antico as one of the best base runners that I've seen at Texas, and I I say that not lightly, but just he was so efficient in addition to being so fast, and in in the College World Series, just played with people, you know, just that speed, and the ability to get that many walks and get on base is going to be tough for Kennedy, who Bunt singles were his his forte last year. Um, you know to to get on, but I, hearing he had the highest batting average in fall camp is really really promising. If he slots into that lead off role to kind of try to emulate last year's roster with a speedster up front like we had in Antico and then Austin Todd, I mean, it just I, I, how can you not like the guy? He's legitimately he's legitimately in like his 29th year at, at Texas. I hope he goes straight into the staff and Pierce just never has a team that doesn't feature him, but he did hit three seventy five in 2020 um, before the season got shortened and then two ninety two in and 24 at bats and 21 before uh, injury. So between injuries, COVID, I mean, he's just had a wild, unfortunate career with, with, you know, things that, that didn't allow him, but when he's played, he's been good and he's the senior Statesman. So I, I'm looking for him, but there's a lot of names that aren't, the known big names yet, but who could be this outfield group behind them is where I kind of look at. There's some, some big time talent. I think Dylan Campbell is sneaky. Like I like him as my DH by the end of the year, sneaky, one of the better hitters uh, on the team or more consistent hitters um, on this team. He could, he could, he could slot into an outfield spot. He could play infield. Uh, I think he's traditionally an infielder by trade, but he's played some outfield as well. He's just an all-rounder and, and a great hitter. Uh, Ace Whitehead is a big-time uh, recruit. He, he was—he's a guy from a small town who played every sport. He pitched. He hit. He was the quarterback. You know, so he didn't get time to specialize. So i will be curious to see if he's just kind of a utility guy who squeezes in, or if Texas tries to specialize him. But I feel like you might see him, uh, Gavin Cash, another. Those are the two freshmen I'm watching. And then Murphy Staley is still here, um, a guy who played third base for us. And if we didn't get the transfer of, of Messenger, may have slid into that spot. But we'll probably play some outfield as well. Again, potential DH candidate. So it'd be interesting. There's a lot of guys, uh, kind of like we have in the in the bullpen. We talked about earlier. A lot of guys who just probably need to see the field because they're good. So we'll see how the uh, the, the the hits uh, and and uh, rotation in the the midweek games and everything looks. Because uh, there's a lot of talent.
0: So with that, speaking of a lot of talent, let's turn to the Big 12, was absolutely a murderer's row. Um, just like the basketball season, uh, D1 Baseball has six Big 12 teams in the projected postseason field of 64. Oklahoma State, who got the only uh, other first place vote that wasn't Texas, thanks Coach Pierce, uh, sits at number seven in the country, Texas Tech. Those fans are real salty about not getting a televised game. Well, don't be number 14 then. You should be number one um, and have a TV station of your own, by the way. Uh, Texas Tech number 14, TCU number 17, Baylor unranked, but could be pretty good. And OU underperformed last year, but has a ton of bounce back potential for them. The, The Big 12 is, again, going to be just an absolute monster in baseball.
1: Oklahoma State is a scary team I think they legitimately you know I think there's probably two teams in the conference who are national title contenders I think Texas and Texas Tech that's not or excuse me in Oklahoma State that's not to take anything away from Tech, TCU, uh, OU or even a, a Baylor team that that you know has had some good transfers and looks like they could be pretty good um, but but Oklahoma State is really good um, you know Justin Campbell is a first round pick you know he he is a He's a Friday night starter that is going to be hard all year long. Um, bringing in Victor Madero's is going to be really interesting. A guy who throws 96, 97 and could be a first rounder. That that's it could be that Texas and Oklahoma State have the have you know two of the best starting rotations in the country, and then Oklahoma State's got some good offense too. Um, Tech, obviously, uh, Jace Young is is if you ask some maybe the best player in college baseball, um, but the kind of. All of the stuff a little bit lower down, both in their, their bullpen and in their offense, is a little bit unproven or they're kind of guys you would like, you know, your number three contributor would you love it if he was your number six contributor. You know, they're a little bit they're gonna ask a lot of them, but they do I mean all of the stats in Lubbock get inflated because balls just fly out of that park so their hitters and their offense will always look good david hamilton crushed balls out of the the park in in lubbock you know and he didn't hit a ton in austin so you know it's they, they're going to look better than they they probably are on offense because they they their home is good but that also you know they have bats and and uh, so it's going to be an interesting team they're 14 Tadlock's a good coach. He could make this a top ten team, but I, I, I still think Oklahoma State is the scary one there. And then Kirk Sarlo's taken over in TCU, right? Nagel leaves. He's got a lot of talent. Um, there's some upside, but some unproven stuff uh, there. Again, a couple players who who are going to be all conference level and maybe more. Um, those are the three with Texas that you know are going to give not just give everyone nightmares and then baylor and ou are kind of the the sneaky picks to see what either one of them can do so it's it's tough again sec is still the 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 creme de la creme of of college baseball top to bottom texas oklahoma state probably fit in with that talent level those two tech and tcu could could make noise but i mean again this is a really good baseball conference especially at the top with those three or four
0: so Texas doesn't really open the field with a cakewalk. Um, Rice is always a really good uh, baseball school regardless. So they'll open up with them February 18th this coming weekend. Uh, have a weekend series with them at the dish and then they head up to the juice box uh, for the Shriners opener at minute made. They take on number 19, Tennessee and number eight LSU from the aforementioned sec and UCLA Um LSU's, a, I mean, again, you just mentioned it. Both those SEC teams are uh, absolutely elite.
1: Yeah, and Tennessee really wants to get Texas because we knocked them out. Like, they, uh, they're going to be – Com- like coming hard on that game. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee loses the game before because they're just focused fully on trying to beat Texas. But they play Alabama uh, in between then, between Rice and, and them, which is going to be another SEC test. Uh, it'll be in Austin. Um, and then S- South Carolina, they play the the uh, away leg this year in South Carolina. So they're playing a lot of SEC baseball in their uh, pre-conference play, which you know is interesting. They'll also obviously get the, uh, the midweek, the vaunted midweek game uh, against Texas A&M that they will treat as their uh, as their national championship, which it's home this year. Tickets are already sold out. I hope we just shellack the Aggies and then they have nothing to talk about. But yeah, it, it, the schedule is good. You should get out and see any chance you get. If you live in a city where Texas is coming close, go see this team. If you're in Austin, go see this team. I mean, this is this is a team that deserves the number one spot they they are they have a tough tough challenge tough season, good teams all around but it's it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Finally, we'll have some fun sports to watch but we will obviously bring you all of the baseball coverage throughout the season starting next week and next week's show talking about the opener against rice. So we went a little long in the baseball preview, so we're going to move pretty quickly through the down the 40. Number 20, men's basketball absolutely gets blasted by Baylor. 80-63, Eighty to sixty-three, Texas. Um, felt like you couldn't throw. They couldn't throw a basketball into the ocean in that one. Shot twenty of sixty-one from the floor. The starters were a combined twelve of thirty-three. They also shot seventy-three point nine from the free throw line. Just an absolute abysmal performance from a team that you and I thought was hitting their stride.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a tough week where you have the the hope of the the Kansas win again at home. Texas, we've said it. Many times this is much better this season at home. You take it makes the Kansas State loss even more of an aberration. But otherwise, they're undefeated at home. And then they, they had to take that show on the road to a Baylor team that had been wounded, had been ailing, um, and just kind of had a get right game. And then they chose to do it against Texas. Um, this is a tough one. Texas didn't look good, but I, I don't know that this spins us back into a "woe is me" cycle. We always knew the end of the season schedule was going to be tough. I'll just say this about the the Texas team, you know, it's a bunch of guys who we've heard this many times are old because they've played a lot of college basketball. But they, you play a lot of college basketball when you're not six nine with a with a you know fifty five inch vertical like Texas has had uh, a couple years in a row with just those elite NBA talent guys. Baylor looked more like an MBA ready team it looked like they had four or five guys who were were MBA prospect kind of players whereas Texas had a really good college basketball team and you see that kind of in the way Timmy Allen gets taken out of a game in the way, you know, uh, Marcus Carr struggles a little bit against the, the tough Baylor defense, but then we can't stop the, the athletic Baylor point guard. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you just saw a Baylor team that, you know, won the national championship last year is still really, really good has NBA prospects, um, and a Texas team that we thought, you know, can we, can we t- go on the road in their house and, and hang with them and, the answer was no. We 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 couldn't on this night. I don't know that if you play it ten times, they win that game more than than three or four. But you know, last year I don't think they won it once, right? I think I think they're they're a little bit closer to that Baylor team, which is a little bit worse. But uh, but yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Baylor goes on a little run to close out here too because they they look good.
0: Flo Thamba, who we made jokes about him being an off-brand Mo Bamba, but he twelve and eleven is a big game for him. Um, Flagler had a great game, but anywho, Texas moving on, traveling to Norman on Tuesday to go for the season sweep of those dirty dirt burglars before hosting Texas Tech on Saturday in hopes to split that one.
1: Yeah, and and you know the the hate will be there for. OU you coming but let's remember if if again you're in austin and you can go and show up and bring a little hate or you know badger the team bus for the the red Ra- no i'm kidding please don't stoop to the level that red raiders fans did they're not a real rival but we should be loud and, and make it very hard uh for them to do anything in our in our home court the last time the raiders will get to come to the drum
0: Speaking of coming to the drum, number 16 women's basketball beats OU in a revenge game, 78-63 to 63 for that last second win and a, a few weeks ago in Norman. Things got really out of hand in the third quarter where it looked like Texas was just absolutely running circles around them. Texas outscored them 27-6 in that quarter. OU shot just 22% from the floor in the third
1: 44 points in the paint for Texas is a really good sign. Again, OU is a, a smaller guard driven team and Texas had the game plan for it. I just love to see this team win in a couple different ways. And, and again, 23 second chance points, 44 in the paint. I, I really like that. And we've talked about it, but Audrey Warren coming off the bench has been a, has been a good move for, for coach Vic. And I, and again, I, I like they, they snapped their little, their little losing streak, which two of them were to Baylor. So it was a really uh, tough streak. They're, they're good in women's basketball too, obviously, but uh I think they've come out of it pretty well and they're they're
0: looking like they're in a good spot. Again, it was a Vic Schaefer Hall of Fame game or whatever you want to call it, but uh, absolutely great from Texas. 44 points in the paint, 23 second chance points. Audrey Warren making the most of her time off the bench, 21 points, 7 of 13 from the floor. Lauren Ebo grabbed 14 rebounds in on that one. Nine of them came on the offensive glass. Next up for Texas, Iowa State on Wednesday at home, who they beat 66 to 48 in January, and then West Virginia over the weekend, who they nearly palindromed <laughs> earlier this year, 73. <laughs> to 57 number nine softball opened the season at the florida gulf coast kickoff classic going a paltry four and one officially opened the season with a four nothing win over number 14 clemson uh transfer pitcher Haley dolcini had herself a little bit of a weekend started on Friday against the Tigers
1: Yeah, Dolcini's going to be really, really good She's a preseason third-team All-American um, a, a player who just was was nuts last year um, Especially in her Mountain West Conference where she was the pitcher of the year uh, You did not want to see her um, You know, on the mound She she was just relatively untouchable through two perfect games last year um, Was was one of the bigger transfer portal pitchers, and so a big get for uh, a Texas team that needs kind of an ace and, and it seems like she might Uh, be that we'll see it's early days but had a really really good weekend in this one starting off like you said with uh, four strikeouts seven innings six hits uh, against number 14 Clemson a good team right and then and uh, blanking uh, them and then uh, basically seeing her come back uh, against uh, Florida Gulf Coast for the second meeting when they run ruled them uh, six innings uh, 12 K's in that one which was uh, fantastic so I think she's going to be really really good for us there's a lot of returning senior talent on the softball team um obviously you know one of the best players in program history sits there at second base um and then in Janae Jefferson and then you also have uh you know Lauren Burke uh, you have um Mary Iacopo so uh some good offense hopefully they get it going keep it going and uh, and and the pitching can uh can can match uh you know I, I, I never stopped to think what this team would be like with uh, with one more Elish on it, uh, but it's you know I think Dolcini's going to fill in and be a really really good uh, ace for for this softball team.
0: It's good that she showed up. Shay Leary struggled uh, against Gulf Coast in that initial. She got absolutely shellacked. Two innings, three hits, four earned run. They scored six. In theory, two of those – there are two more that maybe could be credited for her. Estelle Cech, um had two unearned runs, that won on her. So, again, you've got that going for you, which sucks. Um, but Texas bounced back pretty pretty quickly. And, again, Lo, uh, Logan Hulan, uh won a complete game against Boston College, seven innings, gave up just two hits and five strikeouts. Dolcini, like you said, again, against Florida Go- uh, Gulf Coast in the second – One went six innings. They run, rule them. Two hits. Start the run rule count, Kyle. We're at one already. Six innings, two hits, two earned runs. 12 strikeouts in that one to bring her weekend total to 16. In two starts, sixteen in just thirteen innings, good stuff. And then a, a, a check got the start in the closer against Boston College. Went five innings and one hit. O'Leary came in in uh, relief and gave up one hit in her two uh, innings of relief. There.
1: Yeah. Next up. Uh... Texas will be taking on McNeese State back at home before again uh, trying to rack up the frequent flyer miles going back to Florida next weekend for the the second straight uh, weekend tournament, the St. Pete Elite uh, where they will face some truly elite talent. There is number three UCLA, number four Florida State, I believe probably will be ranked next year, or excuse me, next week by the time they play uh, UCF and Notre Dame, who are both at the top of the receiving vote. So this is a, a really tough test for a team that, you know, took care of Clemson, took care of the, their toughest, the ranked uh, opponent so far, but will need to do that and be on their game because that you're talking about now Two of the likely, probably if it is not a Big 12 team, if it's not Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, UCLA or Florida State is probably Vegas' odds to win the national championship this year. So Texas getting an early, early test.
0: Speaking of tests, number one, women's tennis at the ITA National Indoor Championship this weekend. Beat USC in the opener, but then lost to those filthy dirt burglars again, OU, and then went to the consolation bracket And beat Cal in a 4-2 matchup uh, to win the consolation bracket. But again, sucks to lose to OU that way.
1: Yeah, it certainly does. It ended a one-year... It was their first loss of the season, obviously. Ended a one-year streak. I think it was February 7th was their last win. But their last... Or their last loss. Their last loss was in this same tournament. So... Even though a streak ended, they lost in the championship last year to North Carolina, but they came back and beat them in the outdoor, you know, the big one. Um, And so I'm a little bit hopeful, right? They they lost, and now maybe they reset another year-long streak. Now they need 24 consecutive wins to reel off or whatever like they did last year. Maybe that will be the fire... Lit under the team, and there's no, uh, again, beating number 10 USC and number four Cal. There's there's no shame in what they did to the state of California. You do need to take care of your, your comfort and those stupid uh, dirt burglars, but there's no shame to be had for anyone on this team, but certainly Peyton Stern's at the top, who just put up an absolute showing, um, had straight set victories against the nation's number one singles player at USC and number 15 uh, player at OU. As far as for the rest of the team, they did have top 100 wins over number 18, 51, 88, 99, and 110 singles, number 42 doubles. So. <sighs> Mixed back, you would have loved to just keep the streak going, but again, that's their first loss. Some of the first sets they've dropped all season. They, they beat some good teams, so I, I still think the number one, I don't think is eh, may drop to number two or something, uh, but uh, they're going to be there in the hunt come, come the end of it. This was the first challenge of many this season for a team that's been utterly dominant for a
0: whole calendar year. But they can get that back hosting North Carolina State in Austin this Weekend. Number 14 men's tennis swept the weekend with a 7 0 win over Rice and a 4 0 win over UCF. Ellis Baziri back. Back on the court uh Pierre Eves Bailey uh with the top 50 win over Trey Hildenbrand from UCF Samuel Adab defeated a name you're probably familiar with JC Roddick who is Andy Roddick's nephew the number two recruit in the country uh this year it's it sucks that Andy Roddick's kid didn't end up in Austin but that's another conversation for that kid it sucks that Andy Roddick's kin didn't end up in Austin but that's Another other conversations, either here nor there.
1: Especially uh, number two recruit in the country. Number one recruit, obviously, in the state of Texas from San Antonio. Didn't make his way up I-35. But uh, at the very least, didn't get a win over his first uh, time against Texas. So you think maybe training with Andy Roddick, the team, he would have given secrets away. But clearly, he, he did not. He kept his... Andy Roddick throws the horns up, but yeah, you're right. It's it's sad. Uh, next up, though, they will get to try to avenge an indoor national championship. They will be in Seattle this week uh, taking on some of the best in the country. Um, and I just looked, by the way, at the men's schedule coming up. It is an absolute gauntlet. I think they have one game that's outside. or well, they have two games that are outside of the top, like, 13 in their next eight matches, uh, and one of them is still a top 25 matchup. So they are just playing – between the indoor national championships and then their schedule. This will be a good, good test. And if they come out of this battle tested, that number next to their name could be uh, really, really small if they can get on top of some of these opponents coming up. All right, Gerald, let's speed through. Burnt orange lenses. Take a look at the world through the uh, burnt orange. Hue. Uh start with the Super Bowl. Uh, Our Longhorn representatives and the Cincinnati Bengals and the the heart of America all fell uh, to the Rams in the Super Bowl. Probably you watched it or you listened to an NFL-themed podcast. I won't go into a ton of detail, but poor... Trey Hopkins had to play center and basically double down Aaron Donald every single play because you saw what happened when he didn't on the last drive. And Aaron Donald just said, I don't care if you put 11 guys on me. I am the best player in football, and that includes everyone Um, by far. He's so stinking good, like Reggie White reincarnated and then just a little more nasty on him. Um, It was amazing. And poor Our our poor Longhorn boy who had to try to block him every play. That had to be a long game, but did a great job for the most part. But uh, tough at the end.
0: It was overall a big day, a big Sunday for Highland Park with Matt Stafford getting one and then Scotty Scheffler getting one as well.
1: That's a great point, Gerald. Scotty Scheffler, probably currently our our most effective Longhorn alum out of the Dallas area. Shots fired at Jordan Spieth. If you want to prove me wrong, go win next weekend. Uh, But Scotty Scheffler wins his first PGA Tour event and did it in – Dramatic flair. Our our favorite event on the on the calendar year the the Phoenix the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which is just ridiculous and fun. The way golf can be fun. Um, it, they uh, the sixteenth the Waste Management is legendary. But the um, the playoff was between Patrick Cantlay, his kind of Ryder Cup teammate and friend on tour, and and Scheffler, and they uh, they went to the third hole playoff. Uh, Cantlay missed his birdie putt, and Scheffler nailed drained a 25 uh footer in fact it was the theme scotty scheffler birdied for the final six to even get there to put that four under up to to get to a playoff so huge win scheffler was really emotional afterwards like holding back tears you just saw how much it meant to him it was awesome i think first of many he's been so close for a while it's so good to see him get that uh, that initial that initial win off his back and and again Many to come for the young man. A couple football notes to close out that with um, uh, the pair of Cameron Dicker and Josh Thompson both competed at the Reese's Senior Bowl and just announced this week they will also be invited to the NFL Combine. So good things to those young men continue to show their talents and get it selected uh, at the next level. And then uh, Devin DuVernay and Justin Tucker competed at the Pro Bowl. Neither had an exceptional day, but they both got to be there. That's fantastic, both for my Ravens and for The Longhorns. Gerald, I'm not going to go too much into the Texas baseball alumni game because... We went pretty deep in baseball to start this off, so I'm going to move us right along to the Godzilla-tron. What are you watching on your giant screen?
0: Uh, so I am watching. It's been it's been like a romantic comedy season for my wife and I. Spoiler alert, it's the day before Valentine's Day because Kyle and I are not idiots, and we did not record this on <laughs> Valentine's Day evening. Uh, so it is a Sunday night after the Super Bowl, but um, my wife and I watch it. It's on HBO Max. One of them is called Drinking Buddies, and if you haven't seen it, um, it is an interesting little movie. So it's starring, and I want to make sure I get the whole the whole cast because uh, that's part of the uh, charm of the movie. Is uh, so the leads are Olivia Wilde, a man you might know if you're a fan of New Girl, Jake Johnson. Uh, from New Girl. He um, plays Nick on New Girl. Anna Kendrick as his uh, girlfriend. And then Ron Livingston as kind of an a, a Olivia Wilde's significant other for a little bit. And so the plot is really, it's a really simple plot. Jake Johnson's character and Olivia Wilde's character are co-workers and they kind of have that like workplace friendship that borders on like, this is probably not appropriate since both of you are attached <laughs> to other people. Um, and then it spins out from there. But the thing that is interesting about it And like what took it from like a a six to like a seven, seven and a half to me is that every line of dialogue in that movie is improvised. There's no script for it. They just had plot points of what needed to happen in the scene. And then the actors went and acted. Uh, And so it was a really interesting watch. And it was it. I didn't find that out until after. And so I was like, oh, that was that was really, really incredible. So um, I, I say incredible. It's it's fine. Like it's a kind of a slice of life rom romantic, not even a romantic comedy, but it's like a romantic movie ish. And then there's a new actual romantic comedy on uh, Amazon. And don't take this as a recommendation of it per se. Um, It's got, it's, it's, Again, you don't expect Academy Award winning stuff from from a romantic <laughs> comedy. But your leads are Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. And that's what got me in the door. Um, if you know Charlie Slate from It's Always Sunny and Jenny Slate is low-key one of the funniest human beings uh, on the planet, if you ask me. But she's, I mean, she's been in basically everything plus she's like a really um really talented voice actress as well most of you probably know her as uh, mona lisa saperstein from (laughs) uh, from parks and rec it's probably what you know her as but the, the plot is really dumb. Basically, Charlie Day and Jenny Slate's significant others dump them. And so they get into a pact to break them up with the, from with their new people in order to get back with them. And so it kind of spins out from there. And it, again, it's inappropriate. It's like it's not my wife and I had some, some good laughs in it. Um, it features Manny Jacinto, who you probably know, um, best f- as Jason from the good place. So he, he features ah. in it, uh, as one of the complications in this whole plot. It's, it's, it's dumb fun. It's a, it was a fun little couch movie for my wife and I We pop some popcorn. Didn't have to think really hard about it. Uh, but it, it was rom-com season cause it's, it's Valentine's season.
1: I find it wild that uh, the the um, Bortles character who reps Jacksonville and the character who is best described as the worst in Mona Lisa Steiner didn't provide uh, intellectual uh, deep, you know, uh, psychological thriller. But no, 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 that sounds that sounds pretty good. I, I watched the exact opposite, Gerald. I think. Um, I may have caught an episode of of some Reality TV with my wife But I actually what I focused on this week With the the little bit of time that I had Was was getting close to closing out The Band of Brothers uh, 10 episode run And it's basically like at this point, I cherish so much each one, and I and like I said I've been listening. I'll, I'll watch an episode, and then I've listened to the official podcast um, that's hosted by by Roger Bennett from Men and Blazers. Um, and so it's really like two hours for each episode because I am taking it slow because I really don't want to burn through it because it's good. Um, I have two episodes left now. I think this week I watched. Uh, Six, seven, and eight, something like that. Um, but uh, but, anyways, it's it's so good and it's so gripping, and you get so into these characters, and it's so brutal. Um, but also, like, just so I, I, I don't know. I, I just I really haven't finished it, but so far, if this continues, I imagine can't recommend it highly enough. Like, it's it's really poetic, and it's all true. That's the crazy part. I listen to this podcast; is they really like made a. Point to not sensationalize anything. Like there's even like a, when they show a old timey John Wayne movie that the troops are watching. That's like a very clear parody of how Hollywood views the war versus these guys who are like shell shocked and traumatized and going through it. And they and they ask them like, did you really have to find the, the you know the most absurd comparison? And they said no. All the people and they're like diaries and when interviews said that's the movie they were watching Like everything is just the way it was and somehow it's still the most high captivating drama so anyways I I, uh, I have loved it and also again like I said love the podcast hearing some of the people it's always interesting these actors who did it now 20 years ago still refer to the characters by their like Their name in the show, like, oh, Winters and whoever, you know, like, it's, it's, they, they lived it so much that it's, it's been, it's been one that's been nice not to binge, just to kind of slow burn and to really savor and enjoy, and I am... I'm kind of, although I have the Pacific coming up, I will I will uh, hate to leave these characters and be done with it here with two more hours left with them in the final two episodes, though I'm sure a rewatch will be on the cards for me.
0: I mean, Flags of Our Fathers is still out there for you, Letters from Iwo Jima. If you're feeling like good World War II stuff, by the way, hot take, Letters from Iwo Jima is way better than Flags of Our Fathers, and they're both really, really good. And that's all we've got for you. This we Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh,
1: well, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle
0: Kerbnik and also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook
1: Hook'em. And in every possible way. Oh you some.